Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 18th of September, 2023, the 3rd of Tishrei, 5784. Hope everyone who celebrated out there had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah, a meaningful New Year. A lot of time spent in the synagogue, listening to the shofar, reflecting on the year that was, and looking forward to the brand new year. Once again, wishing everyone out there a Shana Tova Umetukai, sweet and healthy and happy new year. Only good things to everyone out there. Let's get to the news here. Uh, just down the road from where I am in Gush Etzion this morning, a terrorist approached an Israeli checkpoint. That's in eastern Gush Etzion, the Mizmoria checkpoint, which connects Gush Etzion to Jerusalem and the Har Choman neighborhood. Terrorist approached the soldiers with a knife, tried to murder Israelis at the checkpoint, and the terrorist was neutralized. He was shot by border police officers there. A border policeman who was alert noticed the suspect coming towards them, towards the troops, and opened fire, neutralizing him. None of the forces and no civilians were harmed. Just another, unfortunately, a typical start to the week with the Arab Muslim jihadists trying to murder Israelis here in the land of Israel. We mentioned this last week on the program. We talked about UNESCO. This reported by everyone, really, uh, the Jerusalem Post and others. I just checked the account on Twitter or X or whatever you call it. UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, named ancient Jericho, the ancient Jewish town of Jericho, as a World Heritage Site as part of something called the State of Palestine. So those are four, four now ancient Jewish sites which, according to this UN body, are part of a place called Palestine, a heritage site in a place called Palestine. UNESCO previously designated three other sites, including the uh, Church of the Nativity, the Batir Hill Landscape of Grapevines and Olive Trees, and the Old Town of Hebron. Israel quit UNESCO in 2019, as did the U.S., but the U.S., rejoined UNESCO under the Biden administration. So Bethlehem, home of the Church of the Nativity, Bethlehem, the ancient Jewish town of Bethlehem, which recently was Christian and until the Palestinian Authority took it over, and now it's Muslim. Batir, also close here in Gush Etzion, an ancient Jewish town which was called Beitar, and Hebron, of course. Marat HaMachpelah, the cave of the patriarchs, the second holy site in Judaism. According to UNESCO, these are all ancient heritage sites in a made-up country called Palestine. The foreign ministry condemned the decision, saying that uh, this was another sign of the so-called Palestinians' cynical use of UNESCO and the politicization 
politicization, I should say, of the organization. Israel will act against its many friends in the organization in order to change all the distorted decisions that were made. Professor Eugene Kontorovich, director of the International Law Department at the Kohelet Policy Forum, in response said UNESCO's decision, quote, ethnically cleanses Jews from the history of ancient Jericho, even as the Jews worldwide were busy celebrating Rosh Hashanah, one of the holiest days of the year. The UN agency voted to recognize a Palestinian Authority proposal <clears throat> acknowledging ancient Jericho as a historic site while completely erasing Jews from its historical record. Kontorovich also claimed that the UN organization had turned a blind eye to the PA's ongoing destruction of Second, Second Temple era antiquities in the area as I said, the U.S. had quit the organization six years ago over its chronic anti-Semitism and rejoined just a few months ago. Obviously a mistake, according to Eugene, Professor Eugene Kontorovich. Shlomo Neeman, mayor of Gush Etzion, the Gush Etzion Regional Council, head of the, uh, the Yesha Council, said that we received additional evidence that the PA continues to fight us using all the means at their disposal including desperate attempts to involve our history. Mahmoud Abbas, or Abu Mazen, does not only deny the Holocaust, he denies the whole of Jewish history. It's sad indeed to see the nations of the world cooperate with these most blasphemous kinds of claims. It is sad, yet not surprising. It is probably difficult to let go of the anti-Semitic tradition. And that is exa exactly what UNESCO is. A bunch of Jew haters, another part of Another branch of the Jew-hating United Nations. And of course, they pick the Jewish high holidays to try and to destroy a 4,000-year-old connection between Israel and the Jewish people. It's not by coincidence they picked Rosh Hashanah. It's typical. It's typical of these Jew-hating anti-Israel UN organizations. That's who they are. Not unexpected that this vote passed and that it happened on Rosh Hashanah. No surprises here, folks. What does it mean practically? I don't know. Not sure what it means practically. This, these sites designated as part of the history of Palestine in terms of propaganda, it certainly means a lot. Without a doubt, when people see these sites and visit these sites and believe them to be part of ancient so-called Palestine, which is a place like Narnia, which has never existed. But practically speaking, I don't know other than that from the propaganda perspective. But there's no doubt these are ancient Jewish sites, and no matter what UNESCO or any UN body says, they will always, always remain ancient Jewish sites. Turning to Prime Minister Netanyahu, who is on his way right now, I believe he's in the air, on his way to the United States for um, an address at the UN General Assembly and a bunch of other meetings with world leaders or whatnot. But there were some protesters there at the airport last night, apparently a few protesters, and protesters, of course, as they do every week, protesting the government in Tel Aviv last night. This reporter here by the Jerusalem Post, you have leaders of 
Israeli Jewry in the United States. Okay, I'm not referring to all of them, but you have uh, you have a Shani Granot Lubatan, one of the heads of the protest in the U.S. Israeli. She's an Israeli and lives in the United States, protesting says that Netanyahu has declared war on diaspora Jews and is opening this round of fighting with a shocking and outrageous attack against American Jewry. That's what she said yesterday evening as the Prime Minister boarded his plane to the U.S. So why did she make these remarks? Why did she say that Netanyahu was attacking diaspora Jewry? The Prime Minister said that the protest movement was aligning themselves with the PLO and Iran. He said the demonstrations are funded and organized. They have normalized the blocking of delegates and have normalized refusals, and as in refusing to serve or join reserve units in the IDF. They are defaming Israel in the world. This is not normal. JNS clarified and added, the protesters have made blocking roads a normal event, refusal to serve in the military normal, and they are defaming Israel before the world. Netanyahu said, I was the head of the opposition. I did not slander Israel in front of the world. So this woman here, let's get her name right, this woman, Shani Granot Lubatan, she's criticizing Netanyahu. Number one, she doesn't even live in Israel anymore. Okay? She... Jump ship. She claims she represents Israelis living in the U.S., at least the protesters. And actually, I just saw a some sort of graphic on a building in New York City, like a video graphic calling Prime Minister Netanyahu the crime minister. And one has to ask, if she cares so much about the Jewish state of Israel, why did she jump ship? Why isn't she living in Israel? And number two is, who is paying for her to get involved in attacking the Israeli government? Those are the questions questions that should be asked. And of course, you know, I have my issues with Prime Minister Netanyahu as well. And it's all, I think, fair for people to voice their concerns or whatnot. But what these people are doing when they are blocking roads, when they are blocking Knesset members from voting, blocking them in their homes um, with all of this foreign funding. And, uh, you know, they should just admit this has nothing to do with judicial reform. This has everything to do with the fact that they hate Netanyahu. They hate the right wing. That's what these protests have been all about. And it's fair to say, it's fair to say that their actions damage Israel's reputation around the world. We've talked about this before. Pri- uh, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak, former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert. For those who don't know what's going on here, those Jewish students on the campuses who don't know what's going on in Israel, and hear these individuals bashing the state of Israel, it's not surprising when you have young Jewish minds, <clears throat> excuse me, young Jewish minds warped 
and young Jews coming out against the state of Israel. When you hear the way these people are talking about our country and our leadership. So for shame, and I have no problem saying that I agree with the prime minister in his assessment that these people are, in fact, aligning themselves with the Israel haters, namely the PLO and Iran, responsible for the uh, many of the terrorist attacks in recent weeks here in Israel. So for shame to these people. Now, a lot of people say for shame when it comes to former, uh, former President of the United States, Donald Trump. People have no problem doing that as well. The former president and 2024 president, presidential candidate published a Rosh Hashanah greeting on Sunday night at the end of the Jewish New Year. He took to social media called Truth Social at the start of 5784 by posting a graphic stating, just a quick reminder for liberal Jews who voted to destroy Israel and America because you believed in false narratives, adding, let's hope you learn from your mistakes and make better choices moving forward. Happy New Year. And this makes Jews in America, some of them go crazy. The, the president, former president, President Donald Trump, calling them out and I have no problem with that in any way shape or form under this greeting that Donald Trump sent out he talked about his achievements during his presidency for Israel and the Jewish people claiming that a president who did all that for the Jews could not be anti-semitic people accuse him of being anti-semitic he says, what Nazi anti-Semite, as he's accused of being, ever did this for the Jewish people or for Israel? We're talking about moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing Israeli sovereignty in the Golan, okay, signing of the Never Again Education Bill into law, which funds Holocaust awareness. And he says, jokingly, clearly I'm one of the biggest or greatest anti-Semites of all time. So again, whether you like President Trump or not, it's very hard to deny how much he did for Israel and the Jewish people during his tenure. And sadly, he's right. Sadly, he's right. Somehow the majority of the Jewish community in the U.S. doesn't support him or the Republicans who have Israel's back. But the sad reality, okay, why is this the case? The sad reality is that Israel really isn't a priority for the majority of U.S. Jews. So it's not really a surprise that they are against Donald Trump and they ignore all the accomplishments that he had while serving as the president of the United States for the Jewish people in Israel. No, he's not an anti-Semite. And um, again, whether you like him, whether you don't like him, some policies, his language, the way he does things, whatever it is, he did a lot for Israel. And he is definitely a better candidate than anybody who the Democrats put up in 2024. And we'll have to see what happens. One thing President Trump was strong on also was Iran. Not the case anymore. The Jewish press reported here 
that the Islamic Republic of Iran has expelled approximately one-third of the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors, from its nuclear facilities. Why isn't this like front-page news? Why isn't this like the top story in the world? This according to Rafael Grossi the IA, from the IAEE. Sorry, the IAEA in a statement that he made on Saturday. Grossi noted that the decision makes it impossible for IAEA to effectively verify its mandate in Iran to provide credible insurances that nuclear material and activities in Iran are for peaceful purposes. The IAEA cannot verify that. In response to the announcement, Prime Minister Netanyahu issued a statement saying Israel is not surprised by Iran's actions, which prove that it is violating all its commitments. And this is a rare move. The statement issued on Rosh Hashanah on Shabbat. And again, you might think that was the wrong thing to do. I don't know. I don't know what a rabbi would say in this situation. I mean, you are talking about the prime minister of the state of Israel having to respond to an existential threat here. But number one, the whole inspection system is a joke, okay? that's Let's start by saying that. But let's say that the inspections actually did something, and, and, and now the inspectors, or a third of them at least, were thrown out. What is the Biden administration going to do? Okay, I would venture and say they will ignore what happened here, and they will continue to pay protection money to Iran as the Iranians are trying to go nuclear. The Biden administration, they will keep on insisting that we should accept the bad nuclear deal, which paves... Iran's path towards nuclear weapons, uh, even if they keep that deal. So that's where things stand right now. Israel will have to go at it alone if necessary, which I've said maybe a thousand times over the past few years, but that is our reality. As Iran does whatever it wants, and I don't blame them, because when you show weakness to the Iranians, they seize upon it. They seize upon your weakness. They throw out the inspectors. And the U.S. does nothing. Maybe some pointless and meaningless threats or statements, which I haven't even even seen those yet, but just an absolute joke. And it's not a funny joke because we're talking about our lives here in Israel. An existential threat, which is clear and present and the strongest country in the world, the superpower in the United States is not doing anything in order to thwart the mullah's intentions. Moving on here, Times of Israel announced the temporary closure. Um, I should say, to be clear here, I actually... By the way, today's a today's a fast day. By the way, it's some Gedalia, and um, it represents the uh, the exile of the Jewish people after the destruction of the first temple. And I was going to talk a little bit about it, about it later on, just to give you a just a you know we had Rosh Hashanah, now it's some Gedalia. Next week Yom Kippur, there'll be no show next week. By the way, but the reason I may sound tired or just a little bit out of it is because I am fasting. Today is a fast day, so I apologize for that. Um, Times of Israel didn't announce, but Times of Israel 
reported that Israel announced, I'd like to clarify that, the temporary closure of its sole pedestrian crossing with Gaza on Sunday night in response to renewed rioting by Arabs on the border. This has been going on now, going on now for several days. According to the military's liaison to the Arabs, the Arabs crossing would not reopen for Arab workers on Monday morning after it had been shuttered since Friday morning due to the Rosh Hashanah holiday. Coordinator of the government activities in the territories, known as COGAT, said in a statement it was announcing the postponement of the opening of the Arabs crossing for the entry of Gazan laborers into Israel for an additional 24 hours. So this is a joke. So they'll wait one more day, okay? Then they'll opening. Then they'll open the crossing. What exactly does does that do? One more day. This is some sort of punishment. One more day. What message does it send? One more day. You think the rioting will stop if they close for one more day? And by the way, um, Ynet. Ynet says that custom officials at the port of Ashdod uncovered an attempt to smuggle 16 tons of materials to produce rockets destined to reach Gaza. This was approved for publication on Thursday. Ammonium chloride weighing 16 tons was hidden. They were trying to get that into Gaza. Hamas was trying to bring that into Gaza in order to help with their rocket production processes. So the terrorists are trying to smuggle weapons into Gaza. And instead of just shutting down the crossing, just shutting it down completely, in this case, for with where Ares is concerned, they'll shut it down for a day. Just one additional day. All right, so this is a complete joke. The system here where truckloads and truckloads of equipment go into Gaza Israel feels it's obligated to do so, even though the Arabs are taking advantage of the situation and are trying to import 16 tons of rocket production materials. It's unbelievable how we would ever let these crossings open when that's the case. On Wednesday, by the way, five Arabs were killed trying to detonate an explosive device on the Gaza border fence during demonstrations against Israel. And we will call that karma and just leave it at that. Uh, moving on here, Jewish groups are reported by JNS. Jewish groups are urging the extradition of Alam Tamimi. The, this is the Jordanian, um, sorry, this is the Arab woman who's now living in Jordan. Um, who was responsible for plotting the Sabaro bombing in which 20 Israelis were murdered back in 2000, the pizzeria bombing back in 2021. Sorry, 2001. I got that wrong. I apologize. Uh, Jordan is unlikely to turn over the terrorists. Jonathan Shanzer, the senior vice president for research at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, told JNS that King Abdullah II of Jordan is extremely sensitive to the sentiment of the Jordanian street since the Arab Spring. There's never been a serious challenge to the king, but things haven't been as stable to the monarch as the monarch would like, and economically things have gone very poorly. Shanzer said, 
the optics of caving, so to speak, to the demands of the U.S. or Israel on Tamimi may not play well, may not play to the king's favor. So in other words, for political reasons, they will not release Tamimi to face trial in the United States. Um, and at this point, the U.S., he says, is not demanding this. Before we mention that Jewish groups in the U.S. are asking for this, but if the U.S., he says, isn't demanding this, and Israel, if the Israelis aren't demanding this, why should the Jordanians do anything? And that's extremely sad. Again, the 2001 Sabaro Pizzeria suicide bombing, I was actually in Jerusalem on that day when it happened. Just terrible, absolutely horrible. Yet 22 years after the attack, the woman who carried it out, who plotted it, is free roaming around Jordan. Arnold and Frimit Roth have pursued justice for their daughter, Malki, who is 15 years old, one of those murdered, one of three American citizens murdered in the attack orchestrated by Tamimi. Stephen Flato, president of the Religious Zionists of America, fought the U.S. government for accountability for the 1995 terrorist attack that killed his daughter, Alyssa. He believes that U.S. Jewish organizations must must stand with the Roths and encourage the U.S. government to press Jordan on this matter, particularly giving, given that Washington sends some $1.65 billion in aid to Jordan. So, bottom line here, Jordan must do the right thing. Okay, whether it's good for their PR or whether it plays well or not in the streets, the King of Jordan should intervene in Israel should make a big stink about this, that this evil woman, Tamimi, is free. She actually at one point had a talk show in which she was praising Hamas and suicide bombing and even a haunting video of her saying she wished that you know, even more uh, young Jewish children were murdered in that attack, expressing no remorse, extremely happy as a result of that attack. But Jordan should do the right thing in Israel and the U.S. The governments should demand that she be extradited for murdering uh, three Americans and the others at the Sabaro pizza bombing. Finishing the show today, Times of Israel reported that Israel's national tennis team scored a surprise win against Japan at the prestigious Davis Cup advancing to playoffs that could see it reach the tournament's final 16. Israel won the match against Japan 3-2. It was here in Tel Aviv, coming from behind after they were down 2-1. Israel fell behind 2-1 before players Daniel Zuckerman and Yishai Oliel both won their respective matches to secure a win for the national Israeli tennis team. And that's going to do it for today. Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Get in touch with me during the week via email, josh at thelandofisrael.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Again, I really apologize if I sound a little bit out of it. That's what fasting will do to you. Um, there will not be a show again uh, next week because it is Yom Kippur. 
the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, a day of fasting and reflection, um, of atonement, of prayer, of asking for forgiveness to those we have harmed during the year. So if anybody out there, if I have harmed you in any way, I apologize for that. If you'd like to email me privately, I'm happy to address any issues you might have, anything I might have done to you over the course of the year um, and make amends. Uh, big shout out to Tabitha Epstein for everything she does behind the scenes. Ben Bresky, engineer extraordinaire. Everyone out there who is celebrating Yom Kippur, observing Yom Kippur and the fast, have a meaningful fast. Once again, Shana Tova. And the week after is Sukkot. Holiday Sukkot, so I also will not be broadcasting on Sukkot. Please, God, we will join you once again here on, on uh, Israel Uncensored by the Land of Israel Network after the high holidays. Shana Tova. Have a meaningful Yom Kippur. All the best. Shalom, shalom from Gush Etzion, Israel. The Judean hills just south of Jerusalem. The eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Have a great week, everybody.